Section 43, Volume 2 of the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, translated by Richard Burton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 2, Section 43. When it was the one hundred and tenth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that when Tashal Malak Karan, son of Solomon Shah, became perfect in riding craft, and excelled all those of his time, his excessive beauty, when he fared abroad on any occasion, caused all who saw him to be ravished, and to make him the subject of verse and even pious men were seduced by his brilliant loveliness. Quoth the poet of him, I clipped his form and waxed drunk with his scent, fair branch to whom Sefer gave nutriment, nor drunken as one who drinks wine but drunk, with night draught his lips of the honeydew lent. All beauties shone in the all of him, Hence all human hearts he in hand hath hence. My mind by Allah shall never unmind, His love while I wear life's change till spent. If I live, in his love I live, If I die, for pine and longing, O blessed, I'll cry. When he reached the eighteenth year of his age, Tender down sprouted, on his side face fresh with youth, from a mole upon one rosy cheek, and a second beauty spot, like a grain of ambergris, adorned the other. And he won the wits and eyes of every wit, who looked on him, even as saith the poet. He is caliph of beauty in Yusuf's lieu, and all lovers fear when they sight his grace. Pause and gaze with me on his cheek thou'll sight the caliphate's banner of sable you, And, as saith another, Thy sight hath never seen fairer sight Of all things men can in the world espy Than yon brown mole that studs his bonny cheek Of rosy red beneath the jet-black eye. And, as saith another, I marvel seeing yon mole that serves his cheek's bright flame, Yet burneth not in fire, albeit infidel. I wonder eke to see the apostolic glance, Miracle working, though it work by magic spell. How fresh and bright the down that decks his cheek, and yet Burst and gallbladders feed within as waters well. And, as saith another, I marvel hearing people questioning of The fount of life, and in what land tis found. I see it sprung from lips of dainty fawn, Sweet rosy mouth with green moustache downed. And wondrous wonder tis when Moses viewed That fount he rested not from weary round. Now, having developed such beauty, when he came to man's estate, his loveliness increased, and it won for him many comrades and intimates, 
while every one who drew near to him wished that Taj al-Maluk Karan might become sultan after his father's death, and that he himself might be one of his emirs. Then took he passionately to chasing and hunting, which he would hardly leave for a single hour. His father, King Suleiman Shah, would have forbidden him the pursuit, fearing for him the perils of the waste and the wild beasts. But he paid no heed to his warning voice, and it so chanced that once upon a time he said to his attendants, Take ye ten days' food and forage, and when they obeyed his bidding, he set out with his suit for sport and disport. They rode on into the desert, and ceased not riding four days, till they came to a place where the ground was green, and they saw in it wild beasts grazing, and trees with ripe fruit growing, and springs flowing. Quoth Taj al-Maluk to his followers, Set up the nets here, and peg them in a wide ring, and let our trysting place be at the mouth of the fence in such a spot. So they obeyed his words, and staked out a wide circle with toils, and there gathered together a mighty matter of all kinds of wild beasts and gazelles, which cried out for fear of the men, and threw themselves for fright in the face of the horses. Then they loosed on to them the hounds and lynxes and hawks, and they shot the quarry down with shafts which pierced their vitals, and by the time they came to the further end of the net-ring they had taken a great number of the wild beasts, and the rest fled. Then Taj al-Maluk dismounted by the water-side, and bade the game be brought before himself, and divided it, after he had set apart the best of the beasts for his father King Suleiman Shah, and dispatched the game to him, and some he distributed among the officers of his court. He passed the night in that place, and when morning dawned, there came up a caravan of merchants conveying negro slaves and white servants, and halted by the water and the green ground. When Taj al-Maluk saw them, he said to one of his companions, Bring me news of yonder men, and question them why they have halted in this place. So the messenger went up to them and addressed them. Tell me who you be, and answer me an answer without delay. Replied they, We are merchants, and have halted to rest, for that the next station is distant, and we abide here because we have confidence in King Suleiman Shah and his son Taj al-Maluk and we know that all who alight in his dominions are in peace and safety. Moreover, we have with us precious stuffs which we have brought for the prince. So the messenger returned and told these news to the king's son, who, hearing the state of the case, and what the merchants had replied, said, If they have brought stuff on my account, I will not enter the city, not depart hence till I see it shown to me. Then he mounted the horse and rode to the caravan, and his mamelukes followed him till he reached it. Thereupon the merchants rose to receive him and invoked on him divine aid and favour, with continuance of glory and virtues, after which they pitched him a pavilion of red satin 
embroidered with pearls and jewels, wherein they spread him a kingly divan upon a silk carpet worked at the upper end with emeralds set in gold. There Taj al-Maluk seated himself, whilst his white servants stood in attendance upon him, and sent to bid the merchants bring out all that they had with them. Accordingly they produced their merchandise, and displayed the whole, and he viewed it, and took off it what liked him, paying them the price. Then he looked about him at the caravan, and remounted, and was about to ride onwards, when his glance fell on a handsome youth in fair attire, and a comely and shapely make, with flower-white brow and moon-like face, save that his beauty was wasted, and that yellow hues had overspread his cheeks by reason of parting from those he loved. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the one hundred and eleventh night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that Taj al-Muluk, when he looked about him at the caravan, saw a handsome youth in neat attire and of shapely make, with flower-like forehead and moon-like face, save that his beauty was wasted and yellow hues had overspread his cheeks by reason of parting from those he loved. And great was his groaning and moaning, and the tears streamed from his eyelids as he repeated these couplets. Longsome is absence, care and fear are sore, and ceaseless tears, O friend, mine eyes outpour. Yea, I farewelled my heart on parting day, and heartless, hopeless now I bide forlor. Pause, O my friend, with me farewelling one, whose words my cure can work, my health restore. Now when the youth ended his poetry, he wept a while and fell down in a fainting fit, whilst Taj al-Muluk looked at him and wondered at his case. Then coming to himself he stared with distracted air and versified in these couplets. Beware her glance, I read thee, tis like wizard weight. None can escape unscathed those eyes-shafts glancing flight. In very sooth black eyes with languorous sleepy look, Pierce deeper than white swords however these may bite. Be not thy senses by her sweets of speech beguiled, Whose broading fever shall ferment in thought and sprite. Soft-sided fair did silk but press upon her skin, T'would draw red blood from it, as thou thyself canst sight. Cherry is she who charms twixt neck and ankles dwell, And, ah, what other scent shall cause me such delight? Then he sobbed a loud sob, and swooned away. But when Taj al-Muluk saw him in this case, He was perplexed about his state, and went up to him. And as the youth came to his senses, and saw the king's son standing at his head, he sprang to his feet, and kissed the ground between his hands. Taj al-Muluk asked him, Why didst thou not show us thy merchandise? And he answered, O oh, my lord, there is not among my stock worthy of thine august highness. 
quoth the prince, Needs must thou show me what thou hast, and acquaint me with thy circumstance, for I see thee weeping-eyed and heavy-hearted. If thou have been oppressed, we will end thine oppression, and if thou be in debt, we will pay thy debt, for of truth my heart burneth to see thee, since I first set eyes on thee. Then Taj al-Muluk bade the seats be set and they brought him a chair of ivory and ebony with a network of gold and silk, and spread him a silken rug for his feet. So he sat down on the chair, and bidding the youth seat himself on the rug, said to him, Show me thy stock in trade. The young merchant replied, O oh, my lord, do not name this to me, for my goods be unworthy of thee rejoined Taj al-Muluk, It needs must be thus, and bade some of the pages fetch the goods. So they brought them in despite of him, and when he saw them the tears streamed from his eyes, and he wept and sighed and lamented. Sobs rose in his throat, and he repeated these couplets. By what thine eyelids show of call and coquetry, by what thy shape displays of lissom symmetry, by what thy liplet store of honeydew and wine, by what thy mind adorns of gracious kindly grief, to me thy sight dream-visioned, O oh, my hope exceeds, the happiest escape from horriblest injury. Then the youth opened his bales and displayed his merchandise to Taj al-Muluk in detail piece by piece, and amongst them he brought out a gown of satin brocaded with gold worth two thousand dinars. When he opened the gown there fell a piece of linen from its folds. As soon as the young merchant saw this, he caught up the piece of linen in haste and hid it under his thigh, and his reason wondered, and he began versifying. When shall be healed of thee this heart that ever buys in woe? Then thee the Pleiad stars more chance of happy meeting show. Parting and banishment and longing pain of low of love. Procrastating and delay these ills my life lay low. Nor union bids me live in joy, nor parting kills by grief. Nor travels draws me nearer thee, nor nearer comes thou. Of thee no justice may be had, in thee dwells not of rush, Nor gain of grace by side of thee, nor flight from thee I know. For love of thee all goings forth and comings back are straight, On me, and I am puzzled sore to know where I shall go. Taj al-Muluk wondered with great wonder at his verse, and could not comprehend the cause. But when the youth snatched up the bit of linen and placed it under thigh, he asked him, What is that piece of linen? O oh, my lord, answered the merchant, thou hast no concern with this piece. Quoth the king's son, Show it me. And quoth the merchant, O oh, my lord, I refuse to show thee my goods on account of this piece of linen, for I cannot let thee look upon it. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say.
When it was the one hundred and twelfth night, she said, It has reached me, O auspicious king, that the young merchant said to Taj al-Muluk, I did not refuse to show thee my goods save on this account, for I cannot let thee look upon it. Whereupon Taj al-Muluk retorted, Perforce I must and will see it, and insisted and became angry. So the youth drew it out from under his thigh, and wept and moaned and redoubled his sighs and groans, and repeated these verses. Now blame him not, for blame brings only irk and pain. Indeed I spake him sooth, but never his ear could gain. May Allah guard my moon, which writheth in the veil, beside our camp, from loosed robe like skyey plain. I left him, but had love vouchsafed to leave for me. Some peace in life, such leave of him, I never had ten. How long he pleaded for my sake on parting morn, while down his cheeks and mine tears ran in railing rain. Allah belie me not, the garb of mine excuse, this parting rent, but I will mend that garb again. No couch is easy to my side, nor on such wise. Aught easeth him when all alone without me lain. Time with ill-omened hand hath wrought between us two, and made my waxing joys to wane and his to wane, and poured me grief and woe what time time fain had crowned. The bowl he made me drink, and gave for him to drain. When he endeth his recitation, quoth Tash al-Muluk, I see thy conduct without consequence. Tell me then, why weepest thou at the sight of this rag? When the young merchant heard speak of the piece of linen, he sighed and answered, O oh, my lord, my story is a strange, and my case out of range with regard to this piece of linen, and to her from whom I brought it, and to her whom wrought on it these figures and emblems. Hereupon he spread out the piece of linen, and behold, thereon was the figure of a gazelle wrought in silk, and worked with red gold, and facing it was another gazelle traced in silver, with a neck ring of red gold, and three bugles of rissolite upon the ring. When Taj al-Muluk saw the beauty of these figures, he exclaimed, Glory be to Allah, who teaches man that which he knoweth not. And his heart yearned to hear the youth's story, so he said to him, Tell me thy story, with her who owned these gazelles. Replied the young man, Hear, O my lord, the tale of Assis and Assisam. My father was a wealthy merchant, and Allah had vouchsafed him no other child than myself. But I had a cousin, Aziza Hais, daughter of my paternal uncle, and we twain were brought up in one house, for her father was dead, and before his death he had agreed with my father that I should marry her. So when I reached man's estate, and she reached womanhood, they did not separate her from me or me from her, till at last my father spoke to my mother and said, 
This very year we will draw up the contract of marriage between Aziz and Aziza. So having agreed upon this, he betook himself to preparing provision for the wedding feast. Still we ceased not to sleep on the same carpet, knowing not of the case. Albeit she was more thoughtful, more intelligent, and quicker-witted than I. Now when my father had made an end of his preparations, and not remained for him but to write out the contract, and for me but to consummate the marriage with my cousin, he appointed the wedding for a certain Friday, after public prayers. And going round to his intimates, among the merchants and others, he acquainted them with that whilst my mother went forth, and invited her women friends, and summoned her kith and kin. When the Friday came, they cleaned the saloon and prepared for the guests, and washed the marble floor. Then they spread tapestry about our house, and set out thereon what was needful, after they had hung its walls with cloth of gold. Now the folk had agreed to come to us after the Friday prayers, so my father went out, and bade them make sweetmeats and sugar dishes, and there remained nothing to do but to draw up the contract. Then my mother sent me to the bath, and sent after me a suit of new clothes of the richest, and when I came out of the hammam donned those habits, which were so perfumed that as I went along there exhaled from them a delicious fragrance scenting the wayside. I had designed to repair to the cathedral mosque, when I bethought me of one of my friends, and returned in quest of him, that he might be present at the writing of the contract, and quoth I to myself, This matter will occupy me till near the time of congregational prayer. So I went on and entered a by-street, which I had never before entered, perspiring profusely from the effects of the bath, and the new clothes on my body, and the sweet streamed down whilst the scents of my dress were wafted abroad. I therefore sat me at the upper end of the street, resting on a stone bench, after spreading under me an embroidered kerchief I had with me. The heat oppressed me more and more, making my forehead perspire, and the drops trickled along my cheeks. But I could not wipe my face with my kerchief, because it was dispread under me. I was about to take the skirt of my robe and wipe my cheeks with it, when, unexpectedly, there fell on me from above a white kerchief, softer to the touch than the morning breeze, and pleasanter to the sight than healing to the deceased. I held it in hand and raised my head, to see whence it had fallen, when my eyes met the eyes of the lady who owned these gazelles and Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say. End of section 43 of the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 2 Read by Lars Rolander